Welcome to The Unapologetic Woman. I'm your host, Pyle Berry. With over a decade of a blended experience in clinical psychology and global leadership development, I've dedicated my career and life purpose to empower women to believe I deserve a seat at the table and it's about damn time. But how do you create synergy between who you are and how you lead? On this podcast, we address that inner critic holding you back, release narratives that no longer serve you, and explore how to use your leadership platform to make an impact around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Simply put, I cut out the bullshit. I'm here to share inspiration, practical tips, and have challenging conversations with other badass individuals who are shifting the narrative for all women. So let's stop apologizing for who we are and rise together as the unapologetic woman. Welcome everybody back to another episode of the unapologetic woman. I am really looking forward to my conversation today with Carolyn Schiff. She is an incredible human. And I had the honor of meeting her a couple of years ago and then recently working with her on a women in technology workshop. So I want to introduce my guest today. Her name is Caroline, and she believes that her purpose is to elevate women by building communities and forms where individuals can form authentic connections and lift each other up. She currently leads Chicago's marketing and partnership at General Assembly, which is an education company that provides dynamic training to close the skill and gaps. Welcome, Caroline. I am so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me, Pyle. I'm so excited to be here. I was reading a little bit about you and what I find really fascinating and what I love to, you know, start with and ask is you are in marketing, but you're working in the technology industry, but you also have this spiritual practice and you firmly believe in meditation and mindfulness and how that's really guided you in your work and how you show up today. So I want to talk to you about all of this because it's all so fascinating, you know, like when you think about technology and when you think about spiritualism, they seem so disconnected, but actually there's quite overlap between everything that's within that and specifically focusing on like women that are in technology, that there's always a disparity around how much of, you know, the mind block there is about the scarcity of women and the scarcity mindset of women in technology. So before we go into every single thing that I want to talk to you about, I want to ask you what led you into wanting to elevate women and building communities for them? My work really began when I started at my current company, General Assembly. Actually, I think it was like my third or fourth day on the job. I attended our women in tech breakfast. This was my first experience at this event, which I've now been leading for over three years now. And I think at my first impression of it, it, it was just a very welcoming community and, and everyone was very excited to be there. It was a smaller community. I think there were probably 30 or 40 people it was held at a coffee shop in downtown Chicago. And I noticed there was a vulnerability and an openness among the, the speakers that were sharing their stories. And there was something so unique and different about that. My previous work experience, I worked with a lot of men and it was very like by the book. And I come from a, like an advertising background. I worked at a large agency and then 
moved into a more like traditional food company. So it was really cool to kind of blend my personal and professional interests. So that was my first exposure to this community at General Assembly and then stepping into the the classroom. So General Assembly is a technology education company, and we essentially provide various learning opportunities for adults that are looking to pivot careers. So we're running multiple uh, 12-week courses at a time and across user experience design, software engineering, and data science. And it was very clear to me that there was a gender disparity in our software engineering and our data science courses, which are a lot more technical than the design piece. And this was a little, I think, alarming to me. And I realized I wanted to be a part of changing the narrative. I wanted to understand why more women weren't enrolling in these courses when there was such a high demand on the employer side. So taking those two experiences, I think five or six months later, started owning these women in tech breakfast and really wanted to grow the community um, and wanted to bring awareness to organizations and individuals about the work that we were doing and why it was so impactful to get women involved and to kind of close this gender gap in the tech space. So that's kind of when my work began. It's the event has transformed tremendously. Pre-COVID days, we were hosting this event in various locations across Chicago. So co-working spaces and incubators and employer spaces. So we were selling out at like 200 registrations, 300 registrations per event. And there was just like a magic that happened. And it's really hard to describe, but people would come up to me afterwards and say, wow, I've never experienced anything like this. Wow. And yeah, so the format is typically it's five women give uh, lightning talks for about five to seven minutes. And I know you're familiar with this because you just spoke <laughs> at our last event. And then when we were in person, we had a port at the very end, we had job shout out. So it was also a forum for employers to connect with diverse talent. So creating a a platform and a forum for women to share their voice, to connect with other women, and also to connect with employers. So that's kind of at the heart of what I do is helping people to find their passions, but also helping to connect people and doing that by building a community. Definitely. Yes. I've been part of it and also I've seen it happen. And you're absolutely right. There's so much magic because there is this need that I see in technology and around women where, and it's become obviously the awareness of that has become more and more palpable essentially that, you know, we need to change the narrative from the scarcity of what it means to be a woman in technology and looking at it more as creating community and unity within each other. It's like, how are we supporting each other? And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, like all these courses that you're running and in general assembly, and I'm sure you're coming across a lot of women that are pivoting, but I want to know when you see these women coming through and you're having conversations with them, what seems to be the limiting beliefs that they are challenged with and that prevent them from, you know, really feeling that they belong in that space? I think a big part of that is looking around the room and not seeing other people that look like them, whether it's their gender, the color of their skin, their heritage. And I think uh, that can be discouraging for a lot of people. I think we all have mentors and role models. And when you don't have that 
in a work environment, it makes it really hard to want to strive towards that. I recently saw a statistic that only 19% of women um, are in entry or mid-level tech roles. And then as you get higher up, that number decreases. So only 10% of women are in executive positions at tech companies. And you see that same problem with entrepreneurs too, and women in leadership positions. So these are some of the topics that come up, not only in the lightning talks, but during the networking portion afterwards, women will come up to me and thank me for creating an environment where they can be inspired by women that are executive leaders at big tech companies. So really trying to create those role models and connections. So I would say that's probably the number one piece of feedback that I've received. I can share a personal anecdote as well. Definitely, Uh, please. Yeah. So I think women in a lot of ways We feel like we can't speak up or advocate for ourselves without coming across as emotional or aggressive. And I can share like a personal story when I was essentially advocating for myself and trying to get a promotion. I was in a role for two years or so, good period of time. And the company had made expectations that this promotion would go through time and time again. I would check in and make sure that they were actually like pushing it through. I actually had to come after the promotion ultimately went through after much blood, sweat, and tears, a senior male leader actually told me that in a performance review that I was too emotional and I needed Mm -hmm. to hold back a little bit. And for me, I had gotten to this point where I was completely afraid of speaking up to the point where I had physical like injuries because I was I can recall a story when growing up, I was on a hammock and someone was pushing me. I was like six years old and I wanted to get off, but I was too shy to say anything. So I tried getting off myself and I actually fell and cracked my chin open and had to be rushed to the hospital. And that was really my first memory of recognizing the impact that my inability to speak up was having on myself and others. And I think since then I have learned the power of owning your own voice And I finally got to this point where I felt comfortable advocating for myself and trusting my gut and knowing this was something that I deserved and I worked towards and then was kind of shut down. So my first reaction was to sit with it and kind of brush it off, but it didn't sit well with me. And I realized I needed to speak up and say something for myself, for no one else, and to be a role model for other women who are in similar positions, who are looking to grow their careers and are being told they're too emotional when really they're just advocating for themselves. The amount of times that I hear women being told that they're too emotional has almost created this conditioning that you know, if a woman uses her strengths in being, you know, trusting herself, knowing intuitively what's right for her, that she is going to be shut down. So it's better to keep your mouth shut. And that's something that happens over and over again and across different industries. And one thing I do know as well is that Chicago has a, you know, is the fastest growing in terms of women owned businesses, but yet the level of funding that they get is very minimal it doesn't match up. And, you know, you sharing your personal story about what it's like where, you know, a senior male leader is essentially telling you that you need to keep quiet and you need to keep your emotions to yourself. And I want to pry on that a little bit, because what does that even mean? You know, like one of the things that I see 
happening now is that emotional intelligence is actually a fundamental and a foundational key part about being a good leader. And emotional intelligence is, you know, often valued as a soft skill when I actually believe, you know, completely that it's a core skill because in order to connect and in order to recognize that, okay, what is happening with some of our demographics and why are they not climbing the ladder? Why are we not paying attention to and diversifying our audience and our employee base that really comes from this lack of having emotional intelligence, which again is capped as being too emotional. And there's a couple of things that you said there, which I want to ask a little bit more about. One is that you talked about how if you don't have a mentor and if you don't have someone that can guide you, then it's very easy to stay meek, you know, and keep yourself quiet because you don't have somebody else that can see you for who you are. And that's what you do and your brilliance of bringing people together in that way. But how important has a mentor or a coach been in your life? Yeah, I have multiple mentors and I think that kind of links back to my personality, which is, I know a little bit about a lot of things I like to do. I have a lot of different interests. I'm not completely passionate about just one thing because Mm -hmm. I want to spend my time doing a bunch of things. So the way that I look at mentors is I think you have your personal, your mentors in your personal life, your professional life, and you have your coaches. I have a therapist who is, Mm -hmm. I also look to as a mentor, but as far as my professional mentors, I actually went through the Chicago innovation mentorship program a few years ago and was paired with a mentor. And at that time I was actually, again, kind of building a case for promotion and figuring out what my next step was. And she was really pivotal and helping me to get to that point. So I think just through working at General Assembly and on these events and forming connections with a lot of really smart and empowering women, I've built a ton of mentorships with them as well. I can think of a few off the top of my head that are local tech leaders in Chicago. As far as coaching, I personally haven't done a ton of coaching, but I actually recently started working with one of our partners that we work with. I'm going through their coaching program. We had our first session recently, and essentially it's like an on-demand module that you fill out and then you meet with a coach one-on-one. And it was a really interesting experience for me because when you're meeting the therapist, you're sharing about everything, mostly your personal life. And with a career coach, you're more focused on your professional goals, but really covering every aspect of your life. So it was definitely more technical, being able to do a lot of self-reflection and putting some of my goals and accomplishments on paper was an exercise. I don't think I would have held myself accountable (laughs) to do. (laughs) And it's something every year I tell myself, I'm going to set these goals. I'm going to reflect back in a few months. And then the next year rolls around and I still haven't done half of if any of those things. So I think having a career coach to hold you accountable, to teach you these tactical skills is something that I would recommend for anyone. And then also just looking for some sort of like formal mentorship program. On the other side, I also do a lot of mentorship myself. So I'm involved in a few different nonprofit organizations. I was a mentor through the All Stars Project this summer. Um, I'm pretty involved in an organization called Youth for a Better Future based in Chicago and really trying to inspire and connect with 
at-risk mm-hmm. youth specifically because they have so much potential and so much yeah. hope, but a lot of them just weren't given the resources and the means to do the things that I was very grateful or fortunate enough to have been exposed to. So creating those opportunities for them and giving back while also leaning on my superiors to help guide the way. First of all, fantastic work that you're doing, because it just shows that as much as you are interested in your own self-growth, it's also about paying it forward. And what I find when I work with clients is that when they start to actually work with someone who is, you know, maybe four or five years behind them in terms of their mindset or where they see themselves and their potential, it actually, that generosity creates this, you know, it, it releases that same chemical in your mind that it does when you go to the gym, that it does when you go and you're doing something like a happiness task. And so it actually accelerates that feeling of, you know, empowerment within yourself. And so that's fantastic that you're doing that work. And, you know, when we're talking about exactly like someone who is a mindset, career coach, leadership, someone who's in that space that's addressing professional work, but something that you brought up about how they're holding you accountable to writing down your accomplishments. I mean, that in itself though, is even though it may not be touching on a personal issue, it's still directly affecting the way that you're seeing yourself and you're valuing yourself, you know, in whatever position you are or seeing how you can grow into that next step for yourself, which again, I can imagine that women in technology, you know, that is something that there's a struggle with is like, okay, I know what I'm really good at, but then why am I doubting myself in moving forward with it? So I'm curious that when you were writing this down for yourself, when you're, you know, writing the accomplishments and you're, you're seeing it, you're visually seeing everything that you've done. What was that like for you? It was a really interesting process. I got all my thoughts down on paper. So they have a method and you're supposed to write a kind of like in intention form. So I am Right. In the present moment, instead of this is what I want, this is what I should do. I had to like look at the guidelines as I was writing it. I caught myself using those words a lot. I want this. I should be doing this instead of I am this X person. I have this. So I do think that was a mindset shift for me. And I strongly believe in manifestation and we'll get to the spiritual topics a little bit later, but I do think there's a mindset shift there that needs to happen in order to be able to work towards those goals and to realize that they are realistic. So I think the other thing for me was considering what I wanted personally and not how it would impact. Of course, I'm always thinking about how it's going to impact others, Mm -hmm. which I think is a good trait to have as humans. We are empathetic beings, but also recognizing I can work towards goals that I want for myself. There's actually, I don't know if you're familiar with Glennon Doyle, but her memoir Untamed is my favorite book of all time. I read it. It's great. Yeah. It's so good. And there's a quote in that book and it's like one of my favorite quotes. I'm going to share it. When a woman finally learns that pleasing the world is impossible, she becomes free to learn how to please herself. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is a quote that I (laughs) trying to live by. I have by no means mastered it. I am in the process on my way to freedom. (laughs) I like to say, but yeah, I think just recognizing everyone is very consumed with their own 
thoughts and actions and what's going on in the world around them that I can focus on myself and my actions aren't going to impact someone in a negative way. Absolutely. You said so much in that. And that quote is very chilling because it's so true. And you know, that really what you're talking about with seeing the way that how I can take care of myself and then also continue to give women are typically trained or just, you know, they, they are believed that, you know, I have to continue to give and I have to continue to be there for others. And that's the way that I'm showing my value. And by giving a little bit to myself and thinking for myself, you know, taking a moment to pause and saying, well, what do I want? What is the type of career that I want to build? What kind of a leader do I want to be? How do I want to help other, you know, women rise or other individuals rise? And how do I want to curate this team? There's so much of sacrifice in that because it's always thinking about the other, but if we don't first address what it is that we truly want to be in alignment with, then, you know, when we are leading in those spaces, it's only going to come out really chaotic because it's, we're serving others without any idea of what is in our alignment. And so then there just seems to be these gaps that come across. And, you know, I always say that strategy of knowing how to become a leader is not that hard. You, you know, you continue to perform well in your job. You do the technical skills, you keep getting promoted, you get up there, you, you know, become a leader, you start your own business, you hire a team, you are already in that leadership position. What I talk about though, and what I feel very strongly and what I feel like you're really getting to here is it's part technical of how to get there, but that's only going to get you so far. It's the mindset and it's the way that you actually approach a situation that is going to shift the way it expands and grows. And when you're talking about that, I am, and that identity of who I am right now, it's living into that identity right now, because the, I will is this future self that, you know, is almost like it still doesn't exist. So I can't own it. But having to say I am is like, I am this person. And then that right there is like, I have to actually take responsibility for this identity now. So I'm curious to, you know, one of the things that, you know, comes up a lot as people are, you know, learning to manifest is when I seen is, and I've had some clients that they don't even know and haven't even heard of that term. And they don't know how it feels abstract to them. And I know that you've had quite a spiritual upbringing as well. You know, your mom was into astrology way before it was something trendy or popular. And you are trained and certified in yoga as a yogi yourself. And you practice meditation every day. How does being in that world and growing up in that world inform the way that you apply it into your professional life in marketing and more so how does that help you really be a great mentor to somebody else that may just be getting started and, and still dealing with a lot of limiting beliefs? Sure. I think my spirituality, my practice did start at a very young age. My mom instilled these core learnings from astrology to feng shui to the law of attraction. I remember she would drive us to school every day and we had friends in our carpool and she'd play the law of attraction and I would mm. roll my eyes in the back seat, <laughs> but was actually listening and 
today, I, I strongly believe that what you put out into the world, you can receive. And there is this energy force. If you can really envision your life and what you want in life, I do think it can happen. And I think if you put your energy towards it, it can manifest itself, but we don't all, first of all, believe in that. And we don't all, I think, spend the time and energy doing those practices. So for me, meditation has always been that place where I can go and feel at peace. I can be like a pretty hyper person. I like to do and see and run around, but Mm -hmm. I'm also an introvert at heart. And I think sometimes I exhaust myself and meditation (laughs) is always that place I come back to that really grounds me. My practice really started with meditation growing up. And then when I was 18, I was in college. There was this little yoga studio Mm -hmm. that I would go to. They packed us in like sardines. And (laughs) that was my first real exposure to yoga. And I've been practicing ever since. It wasn't until I had a death of someone very close to me when I decided to take my yoga practice to the next level and sign up for yoga teacher training. It was something I had always wanted to do and I had just left my job. So it was the perfect time. So I enrolled in the training. It was three months. We would meet a few days a week and it was a group of, I think it was like probably 20 to 30 women And it was the first time that I was really forced to step outside of my comfort zone and open up to a complete group of strangers. I'm not, you would think on the surface that I'm, I'm a very friendly person. I'm very outgoing, but it is really hard for me to open up to people. So I had to step outside of my comfort zone. And one of the the things that I had to do throughout that training was learn how to stand in front of a crowd or Mm. in front of a class and teach. That was really intimidating for me, because I had no prior public speaking experience and really hated public speaking and everything that was a part of it. So through some of our like practice teaches, I became more and more comfortable and confident, not only just opening up on an emotional level, but also being able to speak up and share my voice and be comfortable and confident in doing that. And then I I took another job. um, And while I was at that job, I saw a local marketing associate part-time role at General Assembly open up. And I knew there was some event planning and I was always curious about event planning. I had no idea that there was a lot of public speaking involved. Um, I remember the first time I had to kick off an event. I was, it was last minute. I was panicked. I it was a crowd of probably like, I don't know, 50 people, but Mm -hmm. I came back to this place of grounding and also my experience through the yoga teacher training and really tapped into that. And I found that every time I got in front of a room, it became easier and easier Mm -hmm. and the crowds became larger and larger. (laughs) And at some point it's just people, they're just like you. And I still get nervous getting up in front of an audience. Um, I do think that means you care Absolutely, and you're passionate about what you're doing. And the piece I think about mentorship and mindfulness. I actually have hosted a few mindfulness and meditation trainings, and I teach some yoga classes through the nonprofits I'm involved with to help mentor people through mindfulness and being able to kind of enlighten them and provide these tools that I learned at a young age so that we can install them in these kids so that one day they have this toolkit that they can go back to as they face obstacles and life challenges. So I do think mentorship and mindfulness kind of come together. And as far as the tech piece, we're spending so much time with technology on our phones, on the 
computer, especially during COVID times, right? I think it's even more important that we instill a mindfulness practice because we were just nonstop and we're seeing more and more, I think like meditation apps and mm-hmm. kind of the blend of technology and mindfulness, which has been really fun for me because it's a marriage of two of my passions. Yeah. That's really beautiful. The fact that by doing meditation and by doing some mindfulness practices, it really helps you overcome your nervousness with public speaking to a point where now you're really enjoying it. And, you know, and, and to your point that, you know, it's still nerve wracking. I remember, you know, being a dancer my whole life. And whenever I would come up on stage, when the lights were out and the curtains were low, I would every single time without fail, forget the entire dance. I had no idea what my move was. I just was blanked out. And then the minute the curtains were up, the lights were on and the music went just, it was meditative when I would perform it. And it really was through that practice of one, just being so deeply connected to the work that you're doing and the purpose of it and wanting to show up for that. But then at the same time, you know, how do you find that focus for yourself and manifestation is something that I genuinely believe in, you know, my birthday is on January 11 and everyone's always told me that one, one, one is a very powerful manifestation number. And in fact, my friends often call me up because just like instant ramen, they literally say like, you're an instant manifester. Can you manifest this for me? (laughs) And when I talk about that to someone who is more cerebral and someone who's more science driven and, and they consider all of this very woo woo, you know, one, there's a lot of research coming out actually around meditation and the power of that on our minds and our body and how we're connected to this. But second piece is that when talking about it with someone who is cerebral and especially around in technology, I can imagine a lot of people are like, if it doesn't have data, how do I believe it? And what I always talk about is that, you know, look at some of the most successful like individuals and leaders in our country and in our world, all the way from Oprah, Michelle Obama, you know, you hear them talking about that resilience and that fierceness that they absolutely believe in. They have this conviction of their purpose. And so that kind of takes it back to even what Simon Sinek talks about with knowing your why. So to me, when I think about manifesting or I think about the meditation process of it, you know, that to me is also translated over to how focused are you and how in line are you with your why? And the more you are clear about your why and you can see it so like you can visually see it and you can feel the energy that comes from it. Every time you engage with that, you know, you know, that you're having a body sensation around it. That is your manifestation. You know, I heard recently also that our brains actually are the ones that are sending the signal to our eyes. So our brains actually know or are predicting what's happening 10, you know, I think it's like one tenth of a second before. So what we're actually seeing is not necessarily our eyes are not sending the signal to our brains. Our brains are predicting based off of what we've now created this narrative. And then that's what we're seeing out in the world. It's all ties together about, you know, when you are in a position of leadership and when you have a opportunity to now help other people rise up and show up in a way where you really want to, you know, you've got your purpose and you're absolutely certain that I want to help elevate other women. And I have these stories that I can help share that, you know, narrative shift for them. How do you see that, you know, manifesting with, 
women in technology and, you know, even in not just the younger generation, but how do you see senior women leaders that are still feeling that challenge and they are addressing those limiting beliefs and how are you seeing them evolve in that space? I've learned a lot from the women that we have brought on to speak at these breakfasts. And again, a lot of them are in the minority. They're not, Mm -hmm. their counterparts don't look like them. They're mostly white male. It takes a lot of resilience. And I think being okay with being the first (laughs) to do things. And I, like you said, Oprah, a lot of these like big leaders and celebrities are, have very solid like mindfulness and meditation practices. I know Mm -hmm. her and um, Deepak Chopra came out with a meditation program. I downloaded the app at the beginning of quarantine. 21 day meditation. Yes, that one. Exactly. So I definitely think there is something to that. So I think through a lot of these stories that I hear, it's overcoming this, this feeling of imposter syndrome and knowing that you're in the right place. You're here for a reason. And being able to, it's almost like fake it till you make it like, yeah, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it just, I guess it's just, I find it really fascinating though, that, you know, and, and we've touched on that is that, you know, women are not seeing someone who looks like them in that space. It's very heavily dominated by men. And even your, your story that you shared about how you were called emotional, you know, and I guess I'm just, I'm curious to, how, you know, you were able to overcome that you were able to pause and, you know, decide for yourself, like how you wanted to move forward with that. But how have other women who have coached you, supported you, or that you're listening to, you're using as mentors, how have they also been able to challenge, you know, what is stereotyped of women in technology? I think educating people that may not be aware, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is just ignorance and it's not because they're not empathetic human beings, but it's more, they haven't experienced or been educated in this space. So I do think in a lot of ways, like men and women are, we're wired differently. So a male saying you're emotional to them. It may be like, oh, I'm speaking up. I'm a leader. So I think a lot of it is just understanding and listening and hearing from other people's experiences. So I see that a lot with, on the employer side, I think unconscious bias trainings, Mm -hmm. and there is a lot I think that can be done from like a hiring perspective to diversify the workforce and also to kind of like create a platform for those who have had certain experiences to share with their colleagues. And General Assembly does a great job of that. They host forums all the time about various DEI topics and and they'll do like panels featuring employees so that we're connecting with our colleagues on a personal level and understand some of the obstacles and hardships that they've faced and how we can be better colleagues, but also like better friends and be there to support them. So I do think there's a lot more that companies can be doing um, and then on an individual level as well. Sounds like there's a lot of wonderful work happening at General Assembly, but beyond that, it sounds like, you know, individuals like you who are truly committed to the practice themselves of, you know, not becoming a, another token of the stereotype of what women in technology 
are going to be like and that empowering yourself, recognizing that, you know, the more that, you know, I speak up and the more that I will, you know, know that I have a voice that matters, it's going to then role model that for others so that that becomes the normalized behavior and accepted as the norm, which I know is still an uphill battle and a challenge, but something that I also truly believe in is the way that we use our words and how that can really affect, you know, our language and our behaviors. And so, you know, we hear this a lot and I also sometimes, you know, I'm guilty of it where we talk about, you know, male dominated spaces, women with scarcity or like women, you know, small percentage of women in this, in this industry, which is all facts and, and it works. And because fear works really well, but I'm wondering that, you know, with language that is slowly starting to shift from a mindset of, you know, there's only a few positions at the top available for women. If that language changed more to women building businesses to support other women, women empowering women to grow and elevate in STEM, women growing and mentoring other women. And if we focus language around that, you know, how does that also play into the way that the younger generations or women that are in that space, women leaders are starting to recognize themselves as more empowered than they allow themselves to feel empowered? I think it's making that the norm. (laughs) Yeah. And it, that's only going to happen if, and when we continue to use those, the terminology and find ways to support other women and business, women-owned businesses and hiring women leaders. So I do think we're still pretty far behind. We've made a lot of progress, but we have a lot of work to do as far as making that the quote unquote norm, yeah. um, seeing more women at the top. But I do think the more we talk about it, the more we put it out there, the more our future generations will look at that as kind of just standard. And I also think that there's so much about, you know, how, what role men play in this from the place of, you know, how do we also disassociate the the feeling of emotions or emotional intelligence to be aligned and associated with women, but that, you know, men can also exhibit this. And so it takes away a little bit of that broiness <laughs> that can exist and it brings in a little bit more of the, again, that intention that, you know, how as a man, are you going to be an ally to a woman and not necessarily to stroke your own ego, but really truly to see her and partner with her so that because you value her for her competencies. And they feel like that's something that also still really needs to get nurtured into, you know, the industries that where we see it, not just as like how women can be allies to women in these spaces, but how do women and women allies, you know, partner with men to help to exactly what you said is shift that terminology so that, you know, everyone, when they're saying one specific thing, everyone is in agreement or at least has the understanding of what does that mean for us? So that, you know, there can be a constructive conversation between men and women in the space. So as part of our Women in Tech Breakfast, so we theme them every month. And we did recently host a Male Allies in Tech Breakfast. And the, the purpose of that is to showcase some of these men that are doing the work and they are uplifting women and, and to share that work to inspire other men when we were hosting this event and we're continuing to host this event online too. It's just a lot easier to be able to see your audience and what the makeup of your audience is when you're looking at them face to face. But 
there were always a couple of men in the audience in the back. In the <laughs> like they, they were almost embarrassed to be there. And I loved seeing men there because it meant that they were there to support. They were there to learn. Unfortunately, having only a couple men in a room full of a hundred women isn't great. But at the same time, like it is supposed to be, it's created as a space for women to feel comfortable connecting and sharing. And I think that is what makes this event so unique is it's a brave and vulnerable space for women. But I do think with that said, there is an opportunity for men to kind of step up and great learning opportunity too. Um, And going back to an earlier point, I do think there is a difference. I think there's an authenticity in trying to support women, whether it's on the employer side or on a personal level for Mm -hmm. the image versus trying to meet quotas versus genuinely doing it to foster um, a more collaborative, creative, supportive team environment. So I think we're seeing a lot of companies that are all of a sudden they're trying to divert. And I think it's great, but I think, you know, when it's authentic, whereas it's a little bit more performative. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, definitely. There's a lot of that happening in the last one year and we see it and it really is that, you know, and to give grace as well to the fact that like, this is a big mindset shift also for these organizations. And anytime there is change, it ruffles the feathers and it rocks the boat and that's hard. So it's, you know, really meeting this new school of thought, which I mean, shouldn't really be a new school of thought. This should just be and meeting this traditional way of being. And I think a lot of that also comes from, you know, people that are rule abiders and risk averse and you don't rock the boat if everything's working, but it's who is it working for? It's working for a certain group of people. And when there's comfort within that certain group of people, then why rock the boat? So I definitely see that happening in organizations and individuals where also more women are coming out and being able to say like, I'm going to show up how I want to show up and you're going to accept me as this because we're tired of playing by the rules of men. So with that, you know, I do want to ask you two more questions. One is when you think of an unapologetic woman, you know, and especially with your experience in technology and and everywhere, but when you think about an unapologetic woman, how would you characterize her? I would say an unapologetic woman is someone who's unafraid to be their full authentic self, regardless of how it might impact those around them. And I am working towards being more of an unapologetic woman, but yeah, I think someone who is willing to pave their own path and isn't afraid to do something that defies society's expectations of them. That's beautiful. And the last question I have for you, and one thing that I think is so you know important, and you've mentioned this a few times, is that how in order for you to continue to grow here, it's taken a community of people to bring you to where you are today and that you're continuing to grow. So I know there's going to be plenty of you know people that you'd want to name off, but who is someone that really stands out when you describe that, that unapologetic woman definition just now? Who is someone that stands out for you that has been a big support and helped you to where you are today? I would say my mom. <laughs> she is a hundred percent herself and she doesn't care what anyone else thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I admire her for that. She really embraces who she is. So she's been a great role model for me. And I try to go back to who she is when 
I am in those moments of uncertainty or doubt. And then I, I just want to plug Glennon Doyle again. She is incredible and highly recommend reading her book. She is someone yeah. that is kind of like a guru to me now. I go back and read her books all the time because it really has been pivotal for me in this journey that I'm on in becoming more of an unapologetic woman. Caroline, I want to say thank you so much for being here today and for spending some time with me. You know, I just absolutely appreciate, you know, bringing together your spiritual background, talk about manifestation. I could talk about manifestation, mindfulness all day long, but also just about how important it was for you to really address some of that stuff that was going on in your mind so that you could really show up for yourself and, you know, see yourself and your value in your space and technology and as a marketer. I want to say thank you. And I'd love for you to share how audiences can get in touch with you if they'd like to, you know, talk to you a little bit more and, you know, connect with you. What what would that look like? Yeah, I would say the best way to connect with me is LinkedIn. I check it pretty frequently. My name is Caroline Schiff. You can just type it in in LinkedIn. I'm not as active on social media, uh, which is another mindfulness tactic. I deleted all the apps because I was spending way too much time on them. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I would say LinkedIn is the best place to find me. Fantastic. Thank you so much again. And I'm sure everyone is going to be messaging you like nonstop Mm -hmm. after this. Thank you so much, File. It was so great chatting with you. Thanks for listening to The Unapologetic Woman. If you like what you heard today, then please subscribe so you'll get real-time updates when I post a new episode. And if you really believe that others should be hearing this, then leave a rating or review this episode so others can find it too. And if there's something you'd really love for me to cover or highlight, then head over to my Instagram account at Pileberry. DM me to let me know. I'm all ears. If you want free resources, practical tips, and inspirational stories that I share with my clients, visit pileberry.com and subscribe to my newsletter. You'll get them all. Until then, take a moment to celebrate your journey, reflect, and be ready to embrace your next epiphany.